as you all know, we are in the middle of our nine beats or our look and the examination of the Beatitudes. And we chose this because often, or every year we have in the last wee while, that this season of Lent we have taken as a good time as a church community to relook at the invitation of Jesus to say, for this time leading up to Easter, we want to reconsider what is the invitation that Jesus has on our life and our community. And so this year we're taking that guidance from the Beatitudes. We're on... Yeah, so I think as I started to look at the Beatitudes, I assure you that they get more confusing before they get clear. (laughs) And it just goes around and around in your head of like, how can this be? Why is this the invitation of Jesus? And so, as I looked at Chris's article, I think a lot of us have found inspiration there. But this quote that I read first, to me, is hugely important as we remember that Jesus, firstly, was speaking to an audience, a community. So yes, it was made up of individuals, but it was a community. And that's what we are here tonight. So I love this quote. The entire Sermon on the Mount presupposes participation in the community life of a people prepared to be radically different from the world around it. This, of course, requires that each individual member strives to live in conformity with Jesus' demands, but it is impossible to do so without the support and trust of others. That was the first thing that stood out to me is that he isn't asking each of us to be perfect. He isn't saying to you, do this, do this, do this, do this. He's actually saying, you are blessed. And you're not going to be able to show the world what that means unless you live with each other. So my first encouragement to us tonight is that we only can do this journey, the nine beats, with each other. And it's been so true for me of my Christian journey that any bit of changing in the Jesus way has been because of the community around me. So, beat three, the one that I've signed myself up for to drive myself mad. (laughs) Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So I want to take my thoughts through these four questions tonight. What in the heck does meek mean? It's not a word that we use. And the path to meek? And then this, they will inherit the earth, what the heck? (laughs) And what does this ask of us? So these are the questions I want to walk us through. So meek. Again, I draw from Chris's work and his definition of sorts. A condition of vulnerability or insecurity in the world. And I just kept going, why the heck? Why the heck? Why does Jesus take us to this place? And what is he actually asking of us? I thought it was quite interesting that Chris points out there's only two other places, and I didn't actually clarify if it was in all of Scripture or in the book of Matthew, but that he specifically uses the word that he used for meek. So two, two other Scriptures where he uses this word, and they're both in description of Jesus. I love the Scripture. It's one of my favorites of all who are weary and tired come to me. For I am gentle, or I am meek and lowly in heart. So that's Jesus. Or this one, which is actually an Old Testament reference. (laughs) And I think it's quite great. The king comes unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass. (laughs) 
<laughs> so that's the only thing you remember. <laughs> that Jesus comes to you meek and sitting upon an ass. <laughs> <laughs> or your king is coming to you gentle, humble, and mounted on a donkey. But I think that it is quite important to remember that Jesus himself became meek and vulnerable and insecure in the world. And so this is what I want to look at. Why? As I think about places and spaces where I have been forced, I've decided, <laughs> into vulnerability and insecurity. Parenting. <laughs> I don't think anybody can go on the journey of parenting without feeling like you've actually been crushed into meekness. <laughs> but I think for me particularly, as many of you will know, I had, growing up, it was I loved kids. I was set on the path for motherhood. And I assure you that every single year, the top thing on my Christmas list was baby sister. <laughs> I did not care how we got her, but every single year, I put that as the top thing on my list. And everything after that were all the new dolls in the catalog. <laughs> I didn't really get any of those things ever. <laughs> but I think going into parenting, it has definitely been a space where it has thought, this is where I can get my worth. This is where I can get my value. This is me. I think that I can, yeah, I don't have to have some snazzy career. I will be the best damn mother that there can be. And then I have my children. <laughs> and I think particularly back to a season, which may choke me up, <laughs> of parenting Cohen when he wanted to hit every child in his path. I can think of being at playgroup where it's all about peacefulness. These peaceful parents. I got this. It's all about peace here. And all he can do is hit every kid. And a father particularly coming up to me and saying, you need to do something. You need to make him figure out how to fix this. I think I've had to learn a new way. A place, a, learn a way to sit with who I am and who Cohen is in meekness. So I want to look at this path to meekness. And I think it's quite funny at times, this parenting journey. I was reflecting on a few of the arguments that my children have had in the last few weeks. I wish you could be there for many of them. Often in the car, Meyer screams, I saw a digger! You didn't see the digger! It was on my side, not your side! <laughs> and Cohen may cry. <laughs> and we go down our stairs, I assure you, five times a day. And every time we get to the bottom, Cohen wants to scream, I made it first! And Cohen, or Meyer will cry. <laughs> My particular favorite is that Meyer picked up this phrase last year. You're not my best friend. You're not coming to my birthday party. <laughs> Anytime Cohen did something that didn't go his way. So we talked him through that and said, he's your brother. He will always be at your birthday party. This, this is what it means. So now he still says, I'm not going to give you any birthday cake. <laughs> but I think it's actually hilarious the way in which they compare and they compete in this world. It's funny, right? As a parent, you stand outside of this and you're like, this is ridiculous. We can all see the digger and enjoy the digger. 
But the way in which we survive in this world is comparison and competition. And of course, I have all of this going in my head today, and I'm doing a race, and it was just hilarious watching this, and kind of thinking, how do I approach this race in meekness? What does that mean? But I laughed because as, as everybody would pass me, there would be something in my heart of like, oh yeah, that's like a runner. It's okay. And then an the old lady would pass you and be like, oh damn. <laughs> I noticed the highest demographic surrounding me in my age, or in my running posse, were nine-year-olds. Both girls and boys. <laughs> and I decided that was okay. But sitting with, who am I? And, but just noticing that actually no matter what my heart did respond to, even if I saw somebody fall off to the side, I kind of was like, oh yeah, beat that person. <laughs> that is our natural instinct, I think. Competition and comparison. And I often say to Justin, I don't know how else to make sense of our children without competition and comparison. But I think the first step in the path to meekness is actually very different. And this, for me, has been the journey of sitting with our value and our worth and our dignity that's given. So very much all of what I shared with you from my last talk, but the first step is just sitting in your givenness. That there is absolutely nothing, whether you see the digger or not, your value is not changed. It is given. And so when I think, does God call me to a humbleness of... Yeah, absolute humility. And I think actually he calls me to a humility where my confidence is in God's generosity. My confidence is in this givenness, not in what I own, what I look like, what I achieve, how perfect my parenting is. Confidence in God's generosity. I was listening to a few other people talk about this beat, and I quite liked these two circles, which someone has so kindly turned into a face for us, so thank you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I, I, for me, think it's a great picture of the journey that I have also been on. So this first one we can call, see why, the cycle of works and the cycle of grace. Cycle of works starts with our works. And for this, it could be anything. Whatever you think gives you your worth, your job, your possessions, but it starts here. And from those things, you get your confidence. And with this confidence, you gain a sense of value, which leads to acceptance. And I think it's quite funny seeing exactly how hamster wheel this is. Because you cannot sit here for very long on a wheel, and it immediately drives you back down to works. And this is the exact cycle that our world goes on. From all these good things I do and achieve, we just keep spinning the wheel. But actually, God invites us to sit in acceptance first. I love this. Even just the journey we've gone on understanding Sabbath as a community. Start your week with Sabbath. Start in this place that God invites humanity from the beginning of creation to sit in acceptance first, which then gives us confidence, which gives us value, which leads to our works. But I love it. It's just the whole wheel. Sit in the acceptance when you need to, for as long as you need to. 
what does that look like? It doesn't say don't, don't get on to work, <laughs> but to sit in that first. So for me, that's the first step. But I think you can't sit in your givenness for very long and God won't invite us into this next step. I by no means think that this journey is linear or a one and done. So I think we're all in this journey over and over. But I think from this acceptance of him giving us value and worth, he then invites us to acknowledge all of who we are. To sit with our true self. So I think it's quite fitting that Lent started on Wednesday. And for me, particularly this phrase has been going in my head that this is what the Lenten journey is. It's a season that we're invited to sit with our true self. To dust we are and to dust we shall return. To me, that's sitting with the fact that I would rather actually have coffee than connect with God. (laughs) That's the reality of me. So I think sitting with our true self actually invites us to sit with our brokenness. So for me, part of the journey in the last year or two, I invite you, if you want to sit with your brokenness, just pick up this beautiful book. (laughs) So the Enneagram is a tool that helps you to look at basically your core roots of sin and how that works out for you. So there's nine numbers. And for right now, I identify as a two. I don't know if any of you will agree in my two-ness. <laughs> There's some really great quotes to describe your two-ness. So I thought I'd read for you one of them. So twos want to be the helper. I will help you so that I'm not the one in need. I then am better than you are. Pride is the two's biggest sin. So pride makes it hard for twos to find an unbarred access to themselves and to God. Real self-knowledge or awareness of their hidden self-interest is harder for them than for others. Twos also have a difficult time building up a heartfelt relationship with God. At bottom, they don't need God because they are loving and energetic themselves. Rather, they're convinced that God needs them. How is God supposed to save the world without them? The pride of self-imprisoned twos is directed not only against their needy fellow, men and women, but also against God. So, yeah, I'm doing well. (laughs) But I know that that can be true of me. I'm not saying that that's all that's true of me. But when I sit in a place of brokenness, I sit in a place of, I just help just to not be the one who's needy, to not be in a place of brokenness myself. I think the second, so we have to sit and be given our dignity, our value, our worth. And then I think only then can we possibly sit with our brokenness. Because if we're not willing, we're too fragile, we're too insecure to look at our brokenness if we don't actually believe that God is the one who gives us value anyways. But I don't think he leaves us there either. For me, I feel like there's also a journey. I hate tension. I tell Tessin all the time, why can't it just be one or the other? (laughs) But I think there's this broken and beautiful parts of all of us. And Jesus calls us to live in that tension. To hold this tension 
to be vulnerable and insecure in the world. Because for me, this is meekness. When we hold this tension of the reality of who we are, I feel like that's when we're vulnerable and it creates a space for others. To me, the reason Jesus invites us to meekness is to create a space for others. Why do I think he rode in on an ass? He could have ridden in on anything. But I assure you that the people then who didn't have all those things, who didn't have that power and prestige, there would have been no space for them. So I think this journey, is our value is given to us. Acknowledging all of who we are and then holding this tension to create a space for others. So then we look at this question, they will inherit the earth. Why the heck? And here I just think it's quite funny what God does. I think he says, so often you think that by gaining your value through the things you own, that, that that's what will give you value. He's like, actually, those who don't get their value that way, they're the ones who will own everything. I like the message translation of this beatitude. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. I like this. Yeah, Chris kind of wrestles with this idea that the poor, the meek, will never own property. But actually they are the ones who will inherit all the property. And I think when you're able to actually hold attention, to make space for others, that is why you get given the earth. I think that God says, I need somebody who has a capacity for others and for the earth. I need somebody to take care of the earth and to make a space for others. And I think that this pendulum we swing of I am so wonderful to I am so horrible, you're all consumed with yourself. To me, that, that's all I can worry about when I'm insecure. But actually, if I can sit in a place of I am broken and I am beautiful and there's room for you to also go on that journey, I actually have a capacity to take care of the earth. I think actually he's saying, I, I value this thing. I'm not just going to give it to you when you have no capacity to care for it. So what does this ask of us? So for me, just to invite us to think about this journey of meekness. So I think we're going to have some time to reflect by ourselves first and then possibly in pairs. Does God invite you to sit with your given value and why, why or what might that look like? Does God invite you to sit with your true self, acknowledging all of who you are? Or where doesn't God invite you to create space for others? to live in vulnerability.